Gary Dorsett and I serve as your missionary here to New England at the Baptist Churches of New England office in Northborough, Massachusetts. You know, we're living in a somewhat of a post-denominational age when a lot of people these days sit in church pews and they say, well, what do we even need that denomination for? What do they do for us? And we go through five years, ten years of thinking, well, we don't really need them. And then a church goes through a moment. And in that moment, suddenly we say, thank God we're not alone. And so I'm here this morning. I'm going to preach the word to you, but that if you hear nothing else I say from this point forward, hear this sentence. You are not alone. We are here for you, and we will do what we can to help you through these journeys. So if for some reason you can't concentrate for the next 20 minutes, hear that one sentence, and that's the message from the Holy Spirit to you today. You are not alone. Well, as we begin this Advent series, Advent talks about hope. You know, having hope. We've heard that already a little bit this morning. We've heard it in the music that we've sung. We've heard it in the devotional that was read, the candle that was written. We're thinking about hope. You know, it's easy to have hope when everything's going great. You know, you get a, a raise at work, and whew, I'm hopeful, right? Uh, I don't know, you, you step on the scale, and instead of saying, one at a time, please, <laughs> which is usually what my scale says, you know, it actually is like a low number, and you're like, woohoo, that's hope. It's easy to have hope when everything is going great. You know, it's easy to have hope when all your kids come home for the holidays or whatever it is. It's easy to have hope when everything's going great. But do you know when it's most important to have hope? It's when everything is falling apart. <laughs> you see, we need hope in the difficult moments because sometimes that's all we have. You know, it's hard to have hope when, when, when our faith is tested. Maybe you go to the doctor and you get a life-changing medical diagnosis. You ever had one of those at a doctor? Some of you know my wife had one of those two years ago and we went through 24 months of chemotherapy and treatments and this thing and that thing and then three months ago she passed from this world into the next. I'm telling you, it's hard to have hope in those moments. You know, you, you stand in front of the church when you're 20, and you say, for sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer, for better for worse, until death do we part. And it sounds all mushy and gushy, and it's wonderful. And then you're 55 years old, and you're changing your wife's diaper, and you're going, oh, wow. I guess I had to keep that vow more than I thought. And in that moment... It's hard to have hope. I have a dear friend who, we sang a song there about the flood and the fire. I have a friend who lives in Virginia. Uh, actually, I named my second son after him, so he's a pretty close friend, all right? Anyway, he lost his first house in a flood and his second house in a fire. He's the only person I know who lost two houses and lost everything. And in those moments, let me tell you, it was hard. He was a Christian pastor, but it was hard for him to have hope in those moments. You ever been laid off from a job? that maybe you really loved and actually paid you well? You know, sometimes you get one or the other. You ever have both and then the company, I don't know, gets sold or something, and suddenly you're without a job? I have several friends that are like that. You know, I live in the Boston area, and, you know, companies get bought and sold all the time, and people who've been faithful working in that place for 30 years, suddenly they're just out. You know, they get, I don't know, they give them a month's pay or something, which sounds great in that moment, but five weeks later it's all gone, and then what do you do? You ever been betrayed by someone that you really cared about? Someone that you trusted. I have a dear friend who told me that uh, on his, he, he's, he's been divorced now for several years. But he, I, I never really had the courage to ask him about his divorce. And so I asked him once, I said, so, so how, did, how did your divorce come about? I thought you were happily married. He said, well, so did I. 
He said, you know, I was working at a church, and we were serving together, and my wife and I, it was wonderful, and so our anniversary came up, and I decided to leave the office early and go home to surprise her on our anniversary. And I got to the house, and there was a strange car in the driveway, and she was already celebrating with someone else. The marriage ended pretty quickly after that. You see, it's easy to have hope when everything is going fantastic. But when we need hope the most is when everything that we've built our lives around falls apart. And sometimes these struggles don't just come once. Sometimes they come in a whole series where you have two or three or four or five things all happen at once, and then it's really hard to have hope. Because most of us, you know, we're, we're like the strong crowd. Like, you know, we got like faith, and we believe, and we pray, and we trust. And so when one bad thing's happened, we quote our favorite Bible verse, and we, whoo-hoo, ah, we, we got that, right? But then a second bad thing happens, and a third bad thing's happened, and suddenly we're going, God, this is not the way the universe is supposed to work. You know, I'm like a faithful Christian. I go to church, and I read the Bible, I pray, I tithe. And God, don't you, like, owe me something? <laughs> Didn't the TV preacher say that now I'm supposed to be blessed and I'm going to have my best life right now? Like, God, well, how can all this stuff be happening? Well, here's some bad news before we get to the good news. Here's the bad news. Even good Christians get discouraged. Even Christians who love Jesus and who have a strong faith and who really believe sometimes get discouraged. Sometimes when they're dealing with those life-changing medical diagnoses or they're dealing with the loss of a home or a job or dealing with the betrayal from a friend, someone they really cared about, and sometimes these things just all come as one just rush right after another. Sometimes even in those moments, even the most Christian of the Christians sometimes get discouraged. And say, oh God, are you still up there? Is there any hope? This is exactly the situation in which many people found themselves in, the, in, the, in Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, we, we, we find this story. It's actually a, a, a not so positive story. It's actually sort of a negative story. What we tend to do is we tend to read one verse out of it that's positive, and we lift it out of the context of the story. And when we lift that one verse out of the context of the story, we get this false sense of hope. And this morning, I want us to put that verse back in the context and get a real sense of hope from what was actually happening. Isaiah chapter 7, I'm going to read sort of selected verses. There's 14 verses here, but I'm going to read just certain ones of them because I want you to get the flow of the story, not necessarily all the details. All right, here's the flow of the story. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This, so this whole thing we're going to talk about here, this. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, king of Israel, who waged war against Jerusalem. But he could not succeed. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had conquered Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees in the forest, shaking in a wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son Shear-Jajab and meet with Ahaz and say to him, Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or faint-hearted. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. And then the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and said, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Now, that's the context, okay, that leads up to, does anyone know what the sign is that comes next? I didn't read this part, we're just going to give you a little test. Anyone know what the next part is? You can speak to me, it's okay. It's the verse that we read in Christmas all the time that says, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and we will name him Emmanuel. Now, that's a warm, fuzzy verse. We read that verse and we go, oh, that's the manger scene. Oh, that makes me feel so sweet. Oh, that's so wonderful. But that verse was given in this context. 
the context is important. You see, the historical context, when this happened in 735 B.C., Uzziah, you might remember Uzziah. Uh, Uzziah was the one that uh, had the vision of heaven and the, tr- the Lord's train filled the temple and all that kind of stuff. He was a well-loved, God-fearing king who reigned for a long time, like 40 years. And so most of the people who were alive had only known the amazing, wonderful, tremendous reign of King Uzziah, and everything had been great. And it was easy to feel hopeful and excited and positive and great under King Uzziah because he was a great king. During Uzziah's reign, God's favor had been upon Israel, and they had prospered as a result. They had prospered financially, they had prospered religiously, they had prospered culturally. It was like a good season. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. But then Uzziah died, and his grandson Ahaz had become the king. Ahaz did not follow the Lord. In fact, he closed the temple, shut the doors, destroyed most of the sacred items inside. And then he built false altars to false gods all over the country. Now imagine, you've gone through this amazing 40-year period of everything great, and then suddenly everything you believe in is shattered and ripped apart and destroyed by a person who's in charge. As a result of Ahaz's mess... The, war, the, the, the nation had actually split in two, and they were experiencing a civil war. Whew, that's tough. It was a civil war that Ahaz was losing, and he was losing badly. In fact, Jerusalem alone had remained unconquered. It was surrounded on all sides. The enemy was on every hand, and there was no hope for victory. Now, Ahaz was an evil king, no question about it. You say, well, he deserved all this. He was a bad dude. He deserved all that. But remember this. There was a city filled with people who for 40 years had been faithful to God. For 40 years they had loved the Lord and served the Lord and and looked to the Lord for hope. They had been following God for their whole life. And then suddenly this other guy, Ahaz, replaces Uzziah, and what a mess. Imagine what it must have been like to have been one of those people who were being faithful and serving the Lord and trying to do everything right, and suddenly you're facing the consequences of Ahaz's sinfulness. Wow. Does this not talk about the life that many of us experience in our lives? You ever lose that job? We mentioned that. Why do you lose a job you love? Probably not because you're the owner of the company. Maybe you were, but but probably because someone else just didn't make a good decision, right? And even though you were faithful and did it all right, suddenly you're without a job. I think of my friend whose marriage fell apart. I mean, he thought they were happily married. He was going home to surprise his wife on the anniversary and found out they weren't so happily married. You know, sometimes, sometimes good people who love the Lord and who love God and are doing everything right they sometimes still experience the penalties of someone else's mistakes, of someone else's problems, of someone else's sinfulness. That's the real world in which we live. See, we would like to live in our dream world in which if I always do right, I'm an island unto myself and I reap the benefits of all of my good living. And if we were an island unto ourselves, I guess that would be true, right? But we're not an island unto ourselves. We live in a real world. And there's streams of other people's behavior happening all around us. And oftentimes... Oftentimes, we find ourselves the victim of someone else's mess. And if we went around the room, every one of us 
could give testimony to at least one point in our life in which we were the victim of someone else's mess and we were 100% doing it right. Someone else's mistakes created chaos and havoc in our life. In those moments, in those moments when it seems like everything is falling apart, it feels like the enemy is winning. Especially when we're not in a position of power to change the situation. In this particular scripture, Ahaz was the king. It wasn't like they could have an election and vote him out. At least here in America, we could have elections and vote on things. Sometimes we vote wrong, all right? But at least we, we have some opportunity, right? In this situation, they had no power. He was the king, and he was going to be the king, and there wasn't really anything anyone could do about it. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations in which we do not have the power to change the situation. We do not have the power to change the, 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 the experience at all. We just have to deal with the consequences, and that's hard. It is so, so hard. In verse 2 here, the story goes on a little bit. It says that when it became known that Aram, that's the, the enemy, had occupied Ephraim, the hearts of the people trembled like trees in a forest shaking in the wind. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of fear before. I've experienced that kind of fear. When you, you, you hear something and you just go, oh my, I don't think we're going to survive this. I remember the day I went to the hospital to get my wife. She'd been having some troubles. Uh, we thought it was intestinal stuff, and they did all these tests. And so the doctor came in and said, sit down. And he had this whiteboard, and he tried to draw. Let's just say he was a better doctor than he was an artist, but he tried to draw a picture of a pancreas on the, on the, on the whiteboard and tried to explain where the tumor was and, and how big it was and all of that stuff. And then he got to the end of it, and he said, this is... You know, this is, there's, there's no good solution to this. He said, we'll do chemotherapy. Maybe we'll get to do surgery. We never made it to surgery. He said, but 96% of the people in this situation have passed away within three months. By God's grace, he gave us 24 months. But you sat there and thought, wow, we're in one of the best hospitals in the country with one of the best experts in pancreatic cancer in the country. And he's saying, there is no hope. Maybe you would be a great Christian. And you would say, well, praise the Lord, he's sovereign. I wept, okay, because I'm not as good a Christian maybe as some of you are. Oh, God. Oh, God. How can this be happening to us? We tremble in fear. We're like a tree shaking in the wind. And somehow our heart doesn't match our head. Now, in our head theologically, we all know we win in the end, right? We've all quote the Bible verses. All, everyone in this room can quote Bible verses. You know, all things work out for good to those who love God. We can quote all the Bible verses. We know all those, right? We've taught them to others. We know all the Bible verses, but somehow in our heart, in those moments when disaster comes, we don't feel what our head knows. So our head knows one thing, our heart feels something else, and we're trying to figure out how to put it together. And in those moments, we shake and we're afraid. By faith, we know that we win. But oh, it's so nerve-wracking, it's so heart-wrenching to wait in faithful hope of that eventual victory. It's so difficult. In verses 3 and 4, the story goes on. It says, the Lord says to Isaiah, go meet Ahaz and say to him, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or faint-hearted. 
in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of the overwhelming sense sometimes of hopelessness, God often sends the right person at the right time with the right perspective to remind us what we already know in our heads, but what we're struggling to feel in our hearts. And I hope that I can be that voice for you today to say, I know that you as a church are struggling, and I know that at the moment it just seems like the, the, the almost overwhelming sense of struggles, and yet we do know that God is somehow doing something in all this. We don't feel it right now. At least I don't feel it. Maybe you guys are moving faster than I am. I don't feel it for your church right now. What I feel for your church right now is this overwhelming sense of sadness. All right, But I know theologically that somehow we get through this. Somehow we get through it. And somehow we see it from a different perspective in the days to come. Isaiah gave Ahaz a new perspective. That perspective, interesting enough, wasn't so much for Ahaz, even though he tried to give it to Ahaz. To be honest with you, Ahaz didn't listen to it. All right, sadly, that's the way it works sometimes. We all hear the same word, and we all respond differently, right? Some people receive the word with gladness. Others receive it uh, maybe with partial gladness, and some just reject it. All right, I'm not sure that this word that he was giving to Ahaz was as much for Ahaz as it was for all those other people. You see, there was all those other people in the city. Maybe Ahaz was a terrible person. Maybe he was a jerk. Maybe he was determined to not live the way God wanted him to. But there was all these other people in the city who had followed the faith and who had followed King Uzziah. There were all these other good people who were having the same bad experience, who were having the same shared pain and the same shared hurt. And they were doing their best to follow the Lord, but they felt so hopeless in that moment. And the message from Isaiah was really for them. It was given to Ahaz because he was the king. But it was really for all those other people. You know, I think sometimes we, we hear a word and, and maybe it's directed to this thing or that thing. You ever been in a service where it seemed like the pastor was preaching just to you? And you're wondering, did he get on my Facebook page and read all my stuff or what? You know, he doesn't even know who you are. He doesn't know, doesn't know you. But the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit has this way of taking a message that was maybe pointed over here. And use it over here for his glory. That's what God does. Sometimes we need a new perspective. And so Ahaz tried to give, uh, Isaiah tried to give Ahaz a new perspective, a new way of looking at this situation that they were in. And, and in all of that new perspective and all that ways in which he was saying, and there's a lot of stuff there we could beat for hours there, but we're not going to go into all that today. You know, uh, we get to verse 9 where it says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Now, again, this is one way we know that the message wasn't really for Ahaz himself, because Ahaz didn't have any faith, okay? It's like saying to an atheist, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> you know, he didn't have any faith. But all those other people listening to the message, they did. They had the faith, and they were listening, going, oh, this is that moment. Again, I said earlier, it's easy to stand at the altar with your wife, you know, your proposed wife, your fiance. you make those vows to each other. Well, that's easy to do. Harder to fill it, to live it out when you're going through hopeless moments. And some of you have been there. There are people in this room who, who understand what it's like to lose a spouse. It's tough. It's hard. But those are the moments when those vows become most important. You know, I don't know how much I loved my wife in August 13th, 1988. I thought I loved her a lot. <laughs> but I know that on July 31st, 2023, I loved her a whole lot more as I held her hand. And I watched her move from this life into the next. What I thought was love a long time ago was just infatuation. But those vows, I had to stand firm. Or I wouldn't stand at all. Thank God 
for those moments. You see, it takes faithful hope to follow the Lord when those in power uh, are not following Him, uh, when our culture has turned against Him, when the medical science has failed, when the fill in the blank, fill in the gap, you know, when X hasn't happened the way it was supposed to and we can't make it happen. It takes faithful hope to follow the Lord anyway. To say, God, I'm still here, and that promise that I made to you still stands, and I will stand firm in my faith, even though at this moment and I cannot see a way out of this problem. You see, the very point of faithful hope is believing that God knows what He is doing, even when our circumstances, our culture, our situation don't make us feel that way. You see, our feelings and our head knowledge oftentimes don't match. There are lots of times in which we feel one way, but we know a different thing to actually be the truth. And this is why it's so important that our faithful hope is not in us. Our faithful hope is in Him. Our faithful hope is in who God is and in what He is doing. Now, having this kind of faithful hope, it doesn't require us to abandon all logic or facts. It simply recognizes that our human brains lack the ability to fully comprehend all the ways of God. Uh, before the service started, I was chatting with my sister over here, whose name I have forgotten, forgive me. Sharon, Sharon okay. <laughs> we were talking about trying to help people get sort of in their head the, how, how you know, we see things from this perspective. You know, God sees it from a different perspective, and oftentimes we struggle with it. You know, we struggle with, well, how can I see things from God's perspective? Well, we, we try, and we, we hopefully will gain some of His perspective, but we will never fully see things from God's perspective until we get to eternity. And then we're going to get there and go, oh, that's easy. How did I miss that? Let me tell you, about 10 seconds before my wife passed away. She'd been in terrible pain, misery, really awful. Really, really a terrible 48 hours, that last 48 hours. We were holding her hand, and her mother was there, and my daughter, her sister. We were gathered. She wanted to die at home, and so we had a hospital bed in our living room. She really wanted to die at home, not in a hospital, and so we just brought the hospital to the living room, and there we were, gathered around it. And she was in really pretty bad pain. And we were praying and trying to read Scripture, all that kind of stuff you try to do. And there was this moment when she gasped. It wasn't a gasping for breath like she'd had an hour before. It wasn't a gasping of pain like she'd had two hours before. It was a gasp of wonder, a gasp of awe. And when I looked to her face, all the pain was gone. All the stress was gone. And there was joy. And I realized in that moment that she was seeing the lights of glory. And it was better than what she could have ever imagined. And she was gasping in wonder and amazement because for the first time in her life, she could fully comprehend the ways of God. For the first time in her life, she could see the why of all the questions that she had in her life of why did this happen and why did that happen and why this and that. In that moment, she could see it all. And it was incredible. I hope that for us, that moment is a long time from now, you know. I told my grandkids I hope to like die in a wheelchair when I'm trying to like do wheelchair races like when I'm 98 around like a nursing home like I don't know, like like hallway or something like that, you know, still being the grandpa who's racing people or something. I don't know. I hope it's a long time. But if it's next week, whenever it is, there will be a sense of understanding once we cross to the other side to go, "Wow. Now I finally my heart and my head finally unified, finally together. 
You see, faithful hope is not blind faith. Faithful hope is hopeful faith. You see, we have a hope. Who is our hope in? It's not in us. It's in Christ. You see, if we cannot develop faithful hope that believes, even when we don't have all the answers or when others are standing against us, then it's unlikely that we will ever develop a strong faith at all. Listen, if, we can't, if, we, if our faith won't help us when everything is falling apart, I don't see how it helps us when everything's great. It's when everything falls apart that we need faith the most. Faithful hope is strongest when it's all we have to count on. When all we have is our hope and our faith, that's when it's strongest. Because here's the amazing part. It is enough. And we get through it. And we get to the other side. But who is our hope in? This is really important. We get to the end of this passage and we get to that scripture that you know really well. This is the, this is the scripture that you know from this passage. Verse 14. This is what you know. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive have a son, and name him Emmanuel. See, this is the verse. We lift this verse out, and we hold this verse up, and this is a great verse, but you really have to know this verse in the context. This wasn't given in a happy moment. This wasn't given in an exciting moment. This wasn't like when the service was amazing at church in the temple, and there were thousands of people there cheering, and everything was great, and then the Lord gives this word of prophecy in the midst of that. No, 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 no. This is when everything was falling apart, when there was a civil war going on that they were definitely going to lose, when their city was the last thing standing, and there was no hope that it was going to survive, when their king had abandoned faith, and had set up altars to false gods, and it seemed like there was no hope in this, in, in this midst of this terrible sense of hopelessness. This prophecy is given. The Lord himself will give us a sign. Not the denominational office, though we're happy to be here to help. Okay, Not, 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 not the TV preacher. The Lord himself will give us a sign. What is the sign? Something only God could do. A virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, of course, means God with us. You see, our hope is in Christ. It has always been in Christ, and it will always be in Christ. It is not in my sense of understanding, though I would like to understand. There's a lot of things in my life that I'd like to understand better, but my hope is not in my sense of understanding. You know, uh, my, my hope is not in my education. I'm thankful to have a good education. They, they, they put that word doctor in front of my name, and I don't know what that even means sometimes, but, but that's not where my hope is at. My hope is not in our denomination, though I'm thankful to be part of it. It's, it's the largest network of churches in America, and I, I'm thankful for it. But, but that's not where the hope is. The hope is in the Son named Emmanuel. Someone ought to say amen right there. All right? I'm, I'm used to preaching at African-American churches. Give me a little word, okay? All right. <laughs> he said he would give us a sign to prove to us. That sign was this virgin who would bear a son. That promise took years to pass. It didn't happen, it didn't happen the next day. Do you know how long it took? Are you ready for this? 745 years. That's a long time to be faithful. God's timing does not always fit our timing. But when the day is darkest, we are reminded of the hope of Christ. It is Christ alone. Emmanuel, God with us. And so when everything's falling apart, I remember God is with me. When it seems like even the stuff that I thought I had together is falling apart, God is with me. When it seems like there's no hope for tomorrow, God is with me. He is always with us, even when it seems like all hope is lost. Those moments are the most important 
In fact, it is those moments when it seems like all hope is lost in which it is most important to maintain our faithful hope. We need hope in the darkness. And we can have it because Emmanuel, God, is with us. Let me wrap all this up and bring this to a conclusion. If we stand firm in faithful hope, we will see God work in amazing ways, even though we cannot explain those ways beforehand. We cannot make it all make sense on the front side. But on the back side, in that moment in which we gasp as we see the lights of glory, it'll all make sense. And we will say, wow, God knew exactly what he was doing. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Now, we all have various struggles we're going through. Obviously, we have the struggle the church is experiencing right now, but, but we also have individual struggles that are separate from what the church might be experiencing. In this moment, would you reach out to God in your heart and say, Oh, God, in this moment more than ever, I need hope. Oh, God, fill me with hope. And Lord, when I can see the way forward and I cannot understand why these things are happening, give me hope. Father, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would be present I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us with hope. Oh, God, we need hope. Lord, we know that this church as a body is hurting. Give them hope. We know that individuals within this church are hurting. Give them hope. We know there are people struggling with things that have nothing to do with the current situation of the church, but their life is just such a wreck right now. And Oh, God, give them hope. And Lord, when it seems like it happens, just one thing and then another thing and then another thing, just a series of, of moments that never seem to end. Oh, God, in those moments, fill the people in this room with hope, the hope of Emmanuel. God is with us. And may we know that we are not alone. We pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.